the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This morning, we continue to ask the question, who's your role model? In our world, there is definitely no shortage of role models. In every aspect of life, there is someone we can follow, someone we can imitate, whether they are moral or spiritual issues or whether they're just physical issues like success and how we dress. The challenge is that the most popular of role models are those whose goal in life is not the same as ours as Christians. They, that is, they do not desire or strive to glorify God. And so for the believer, it can be difficult to navigate, if not just plain confusing. Just go with the flow. Do nothing. Stop disciplining yourself for godliness, and you will find yourself flowing down the river of worldly wisdom, immorality, and laziness. This is why this topic is so important, a topic which we've been unpacking through the comparison of the worldly Corinthians and the godly apostles of Jesus Christ. Perhaps all the more convicting, if not condemning, is the fact that the negative role model in this series, in this passage, the Corinthians, are in fact believers, and yet they have given in to the world. Let's read our passage again, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 8 through 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 8 through 13, is the passage that we began last Sunday, and we will continue this morning. Starting in verse 8 in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul writes to the Corinthians, You are already filled, you have already become rich, you have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. For I think God has exhibit us, exhibited us apostles last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Our outline in this passage is six critical areas of life that are determined by whom you choose to follow. Six critical areas of your life as a believer that are determined by whom you choose to follow or who your role model is. By way of review, last week we looked at the first two. The first one is spirituality. The first area of life is spirituality that we saw in verse 8. 
Again, he writes, you are already filled, you have already become rich, you have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. Paul is using irony and sarcasm, and he uses this device to rebuke the behavior of the Corinthians. Creating factions in the church to feed their own egos, Paul says they are acting like spiritual kings, spiritual rulers, as if they attained a higher wisdom and a greater holiness than even the apostles themselves, and all without the help of their spiritual father, the apostle Paul, and their other spiritual teachers and leaders. On a theological level, you could say they are acting as if they have already passed the judgment of God and have received their eternal crowns. There's nothing more, in other words, they could want. They have arrived. So, when it comes to whom you follow in the area of spirituality, you can either have the Corinthians as your role model and, like they do, act as if there's no more room to grow, that you have arrived, or you can follow the apostles who saw themselves as sinners saved by grace, living out their lives joyfully, serving while striving every day for greater godliness. And I might add, if there was anyone, not just at that time, but even perhaps more so as we look back at church history, if there's anyone who could claim that they had arrived, it would have been the apostles. And yet the irony is the very fact that they are that spiritual dictates the fact that they see themselves truly as God sees them, as slaves, as servants, as stewards that need God's grace every day. And in fact, again, the irony is the greater your spirituality in truth, the greater you understand the Scriptures, the more humbled you are and the more you realize you indeed do need God and you will never arrive, so to speak, in this lifetime. We looked at a second critical area of life that's determined by your role model last week, and that is status. Status. In verse 9, Paul writes, For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. While the Corinthians are acting like kings, the apostles are like those who have been sentenced to death in the Roman amphitheater. And not just anyone, not just anyone that's part of the, the festivities, the show. They are the last in line for the great show as they are destined to die. They are the grand finale. They would be the bloodiest and the most persecuted, the most violently killed, and the least cared about when they die. They are treated as a very scum and criminals that the world views them as. This is all figurative, of course, the arena that is, but some of this transfers over to reality as the apostles, the apostles, as we know, truly were treated poorly. They were looked down upon by the world and here even by the Corinthians. They were seen as fools living out their lives on a fool's errand that is preaching the gospel of Christ. They definitely did not have the status that would make someone envy them or desire their life to be in their place, which explains why the Corinthians are so easily swayed to a worldly way of thinking. 
The reality is, as much as we can judge the Corinthians for what they are doing, you and I both know that we struggle with the same things. Maybe not to this degree, but the world and all that it has to offer is very tempting, and we dabble, we dip our toe, or even more into it all the time. And yet we have the letter to the, of 1 Corinthians. We have the entirety of the writings and life of the Apostle Paul and Peter and people like that. We have 2,000 years of church history, and we live in a place in where there is relatively little persecution for Christians, despite what you may think, especially current circumstances. We are not killed for our faith. We are not beaten up for our faith. And so it is even... Uh, there, there's an even greater guilt and culpability for us as we live in this world in where there is the Scriptures, which the Corinthians didn't have the entirety of, where they just had people like Peter and Paul and Apollos. They didn't have 2,000 years of writings and sermons and examples. And so before we look at the Corinthians and say, man, they were so foolish, we must look at ourselves. Status. It's everything for the secular world. And even the, today, though we may not be in, this, in such dire straits physically, economically, and socially as the apostles or even the early Christians, the very core of our beliefs, the Bible, dictate that we do not pursue the things of the world in the same manner as the world. And that's a, an, an important distinction. Because we still need to be good stewards of what God has given us. And so we pursue what the world has to offer in the sense of having a job and paying your bills and things like that. But we don't pursue them in the way the world does. In other words, that's the be-all, end-all of life for them. And as those who are unregenerate, as those who are hopeless as we saw in Ephesians 2 last week, as those who don't know any better, all they have is their depraved mind. Of course that's all they're going to pursue. There is nothing else that they understand can be pursued. And so, back to our point, when it comes to social status, whom do you follow? Is it the world or is it the apostles? It's not that we, again, reject any social status that the Lord should grant us in His sovereignty, but we don't prioritize it. We don't live for it. We don't see coworkers and people in the news and envy it. And so that's review from last week. We move on this morning to the third critical area of life that's determined by our role model, and that is wisdom. Wisdom. Look at the beginning of verse 10 again. Paul, speaking about himself as well as all of the apostles, says, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you, Corinthians, are prudent in Christ. Paul continues with his sarcasm and irony here. In other words, he's not saying that the Corinthians are actually prudent or wise in Christ, but is pointing out how they are behaving and, in many ways, what they are proclaiming. In so doing, he is showing them how wrong their behavior is. In other words, he's using sarcasm to rebuke them. Now here, Paul picks up on a theme that has been woven throughout the epistle that we have unpacked uh, to great lengths 
over the, the past few months since we started 1 Corinthians. And we've even mentioned it this morning and, and especially last week. Namely, that the foolishness of God is actually true wisdom. It is the only wisdom. Whereas the wisdom of the world is actually eternal foolishness or folly in the eyes of the only one who matters, and that is God. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 29. And we're going to look at, again, a couple key passages that we have seen this far, thus far in 1 Corinthians that highlight this distinction Uh, between the two wisdoms, one of which, again, is not wisdom at all. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 29. For since in the wisdom of God, the... Sorry, let me start again. For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs... And Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. By the way, that verse is very important uh, for our uh, sermon, our topic this morning. Verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. That is, he's saying, you Corinthians, the foolish things of the world, to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. In other words, he's saying the majority of you Corinthian believers, God chose you because you were normal people or even below average. You were not members of the Roman Senate. You were not Caesar. You are not the rich and powerful. And he has chosen you in his wisdom to make foolish the wisdom of the world, which is pursue power, pursue riches, pursue prestige. Jump ahead to chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 18 through 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through through 20, rather. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age... He must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. As a side note, if you have just joined us recently, uh, we did unpack these passages. We don't have time to go through all the nuances of what Paul says here, but those are online if you want to refer to those uh, sermons. So when we look at these two passages and we jump to our verse this morning, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, Paul is again contrasting these two versions of wisdom. And as he does throughout the letter, he claims the title of fools for the sake of Christ. And he applies this for all of the apostles, and he applies this to all 
Christians. At least that is how Christians should be living. Using the same sarcastic device, he's saying that truly he is a fool if you were to believe and follow the Corinthians' way of thinking. That is to say, the Corinthians would see Paul as a fool for living the way he is living, for sacrificing the things he did have and could have now for the sake of Jesus Christ. In other words, they are buying into the mentality that this man is following someone who is dead because they believe Jesus at his crucifixion did not rise again. Not the Corinthians, but the world believed that. And so it would be foolish to continue preaching and following this man. And connecting this to our previous two points, why do, you, why do what he does if it results in a lack of status? The world would say that's so foolish to do all of this. And, and Paul will go on later to describe all the difficulties that he endures for the sake of Christ. It would be in the eyes world utter foolishness to do all of this. And you don't even get status out of it. Why do what he does when the Corinthians have already arrived at the peak of spirituality and have no need for further teaching. That, too, would be foolishness. And so you see how Paul is addressing the wrong thinking of the Corinthians. On the flip side of Paul and the other apostles, the Corinthians, Paul says, sarcastically, are prudent or wise in some of your versions. But notice he says they're not just wise, they're wise in Christ. You say, but wait, 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 wait. Now I'm confused because isn't he making the point that they are wise according to the world? Look at the verse again carefully. And regardless of how it translates the word prudent or wise, these prepositions are the same in all of your English Bibles. He says, we, the apostles, are fools for Christ. The Corinthians are prudent in Christ. In other words, the apostles were suffering for the sake of Christ, but the Corinthians were in Christ. In other words, they were Christians, but not acting like it and enjoying everything the world has to offer. And yet, we go back to chapter 1. And see that among the Corinthian church, there were very few who were wise, mighty, and noble, at least by the world standards. But you sure wouldn't know it by how they were acting and how they were talking. So again, we see a clear difference in potential role models or ways of living. Fool for Christ or worldly wise, yet still claiming Christ, still being a Christian. And I believe that is extra convicting for us and extra cautionary because we are Christians and that doesn't mean we automatically default to living like the apostles or having the apostles as our role models. We can still be in Christ like the Corinthians and be tempted and even give into the temptation of the world. By the world's standards, What Paul was doing was foolish. And what is a fool? A fool is someone who bears reproach. He suffers. He is considered stupid. 
This is how the world viewed Christians at that time. And again, especially those who had given their lives entirely to promoting the message of Christianity, the gospel, that is, the apostles. The same, to a large extent, goes for us today. Now again, for those of us who are streaming in from the United States, even in a place as liberal as California, and even a place as liberal within California standards as the San Francisco Bay Area, there is not much persecution. And we could say, well, I don't really get it. Because my friends kind of say, hey, that's a good thing. Especially now, with all that's going on, it's good to have your faith. And praise God that that we have unbelievers who get that. When my wife and I lost our daughter, uh, people who we assumed would consider that girl not living, not a life based on their liberal point of view, we had just as many, if not more, unbelievers crying with my wife than we did those in the church. And that is general grace. That is good. We are thankful for that. But that doesn't mean that our way of living and our way of thinking is not foolishness to the world. Let me explain. They would ask, why would you want to work harder than what they pay you for? We call it excellence for God. They call it foolishness. Why would you call a clump of cells a living being? We call it God's creation. They call it stupidity. And why would you want to give your life for others rather than living for yourself? We call it Christ-likeness. They call it delusional. And we could go on. There's so many things that you do as the norm by God's grace in your life that the world doesn't understand. And so they see that or they see it as foolishness. You can make the case that everything we're looking at in these six areas of life is contrasting God's wisdom and man's wisdom or the world's wisdom. So, who do you want to be? Whom do you want to follow? If it is the life and example of the apostles, then you are truly wise, but fools in the eyes of mankind, of the world. And that's no small thing. If the Corinthians, then you are claiming a faith, and listen carefully, that you aren't really living. You are claiming a faith that you aren't really living. But you sure will be comfortable here. And that's the temptation. That's the draw. See, the Corinthians got to the point that they couldn't stand being fools for Christ's sake. The world and all it had to offer was just too plush, too tempting, too good to pass up. And I think we would do well to realize that we have the same temptations in our own thinking. Listen, if you want to believe that you don't enjoy your sin, that you don't desire the praise of man, 
the comforts of the world, then you are fooling yourself and will be very confused in your pursuit of godliness and the avoidance of temptation. We like our sin. We actually love our sin. That's the problem. We like the opportunities to indulge the flesh that the world has to offer. And that's why we must not just go with the flow, but make the disciplined choice to follow Paul's example and not the Corinthians. Do nothing and you will naturally go into your sin and the ways of the world. You must fight. You must discipline yourself. I believe the warning of Romans 12 is very appropriate here, and I'd like you to turn there with me. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. If you're not familiar, just turn backwards a few pages toward the front of your Bible, and you'll be in Romans chapter 12. And I want to read for you verse 2. Paul says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So the terminology here, when Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, is he's saying, be careful because the world will want to squeeze you into its mold. And again, it's not just being at the wrong place at the wrong time. You are in the world. God is sovereign over this. He understands. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. But the reality is, no matter where you go, you're in the world. You turn on the TV, right? You look at your phone. You go to work. You sit on the bus. You turn on the radio. It is the world. It is it's the world's viewpoint. It's the world's ways. And so even in little ways, it's squeezing, squeezing you into its mold And before you know it, like any sort of mold you would use for cooking, you plop it out and it looks exactly like that container, like that mold. And Paul is saying, be careful. That's conformity. That's being squeezed into the mold. This is applicable to all of our points, but it is especially pertinent when it comes to your view of wisdom, to your view of a biblical worldview. Notice it's much more than behavior because he says rather than being conformed to the world, we must have a transformation, renewing of your mind. This is not just a change. This is a total transformation. This is a complete renewal. It's not just mixing the two. A little bit of conformity, a little bit of transformation, one foot in the world, one foot in God's kingdom. Why can't I enjoy both? You know the answer to that. What we need to have is a full transformation that gets rid of the mold completely and has a mind that is completely, utterly, fully focused on God and God alone. You cannot have both. We use the term lukewarm Christian a lot. Well, he's just a lukewarm Christian right? Yeah, he's just, there's a lot of things in his life. He's just in a place in his, in his career, and, and he just was born into a very successful and prominent family, and so he's a lukewarm Christian because he just has to, has this a little bit, we wouldn't say it this way, but basically a conformity to the world, but he's trying to transform and, and be like God and, and trying to navigate the two. He's a lukewarm Christian. 
And that's what we mean when we mean when we say that. But do you know where that phrase is used in Scripture? It's used in Revelation when God says, the lukewarm Christian who is neither hot nor cold, I will spit out of my mouth. It's not, they're there, it's okay, keep trying. I will spit them out of my mouth. In other words, you're not a Christian. You can't have both. If I took a a cup of yellow, yellow watercolor and I added just one little drop of blue, it doesn't make it less yellow. It makes it a different color. And that's what we have seen throughout 1 Corinthians. You can't have both. You are either one or the other. It is not enough to have a mind focused on God with some secular worldview mixed in. You end up with a totally different color. In other words, you end up with a totally different faith, not the one of the Bible. And still in Romans 12, when you jump back to verse 1, you see the incredible importance of this because it is tied directly into your worship. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You want to be a holy sacrifice. Right? You, don't, you, want, you don't want to be like in the Old Testament, offering strange fire and being burnt up. You don't want to be the guy who's, who's and how worldly is this, right? Keep the good sheep, keep the good animals for myself, and we're just going to burn up the animals on the altar anyway, so I'm going to give them the, the maimed one, the one that's not good to eat, the one that's not good to work in the field because I want to have the good stuff for myself. This is worldliness. And God says, no, no. And he killed people for that. We want to be a living and holy sacrifice. We want to be acceptable to God. We know that we are because of Christ. But what we're talking about here is our behavior. And we want to be able to worship God. How often do we say, I wish there was something tangible that I could just, just pay, uh, over, pay too much money for the, the, the perfect sheep and offer it at an altar and say, this is for my God. That is what you're worth. Because it is so much harder to change our hearts, to behave in a godly way. That is your sacrifice. That is your spiritual service of worship. And so if this is your heart, if you want to be holy, if you want to honor God, if you want to be acceptable, if you want to serve and worship biblically so that God is pleased and you are that fragrant aroma, how do you do that? Verse 2, don't be conformed to the world. There is a direct connection between your role model and your worship. Now understand on a practical level, there are places where the pressure to conform to the world will be harder, stronger than others. It's wise to know those areas so that you can be on guard. For example, for most of you, who work in a secular environment, even if you're just uh, hopping on Zoom these days, it's still true that there will be more worldly pressure at work than at home. And it's not just because you're not working with Christians. It's because of what those non-Christians believe. Get more. Get more money. Get more promotions. Gossip. Whatever it may be. Another area would simply be there's more worldly pressure if you watch a lot of TV than if you're reading your Bible. 
listening to sermons, reading blogs, things like that. Even some physically cities and parts of the country will have greater and different pressures, and we need to be aware of that. What is it that the world is trying to conform us to? But really, there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same things, appealing to your pride, appealing to your sense or or desire for self-worth, to make you the king, using Paul's terminology, success, popularity. But as I was saying earlier, in, in more liberal cities, you have the pressure to value social issues more than biblical issues. And so even if you're moving, you need to understand where you're going. If you're going to a city that is well known to be extremely liberal, you need to make sure that there are places to worship that are like-minded. And again, that is a testament to your thinking. If it's just good job, better money, I can afford a house, things will be more comfortable for us there. And people say, mm, that, even the liberals know that that's a liberal city. Where are you going to go to church? Huh, I haven't thought about that. Do you not see even in that, even in that noble desire to do better for your f- wife and kids is worldly thinking? And I have actually seen that. I, I have seen like-minded, godly men who have moved to one of the most liberal cities in our country, Portland, and changed. And it's all about social issues now and not about Christ. But the same can even be in conservative cities. If you were to move to a red state or the Bible Belt, you now have the pressure to act legalistically as a Christian rather than truly worshiping God. Even that is a worldly standpoint. So, be aware. Be smart. Don't underestimate the power of cultural peer pressure. Because cultural peer pressure does not stand out. It is the norm. Peer pressure, as we probably most commonly associate it with in high school, it actually stands out. Right? It's just the three or four kids that have to sneak out of class where the majority, 95% of the kids are still in class, they have to sneak out behind the bleachers and go smoke or drink their daddy's whiskey or whatever it is. It stands out. It's not the norm. As adults, the worldly peer pressure, the temptation of conformity that we're talking about here, that is the norm. That is the norm. And so we have to be extra aware of it. It's, it's kind of like going through a haunted house. It's not just dark because that's scarier. It's dark so you don't see the people that are going to pop out and scare you. And so your eyes are adjusted, and so they make it darker, and, and it's, it's just the norm, right? You, you, you don't, it's not like you're, you're aware because you know that your husband's trying to play a prank on you because it's April Fool's Day and he's going to hop out of somewhere. So you're extra on your guard. The world is just this big haunted house where after a while people come scare you and people are doing, uh, depicting gruesome things and you're like, well, of course. And you kind of let your guard down and just enjoy it. And then you get in trouble. I mean, think about it. If someone says, man, I, you know, 
I know I'm starting down here at your level, but I really, I'm going to work my way up, and, and hopefully someday I'll be on the board, I'll be a CEO. That doesn't surprise you at all. That doesn't surprise you when your coworker says that. When, when someone says, you say, why, why do you keep asking for a promotion? And someone says, well, I really want a Mercedes Benz. That doesn't surprise you. It's the norm of the world, so we have to be extra careful. Because even when you don't deliberately or consciously choose the world as your role model, you may very well be following the world as your role model. You just don't know it. I I know I've said this many times before over the years, but I see this all the time in the church. I see this all the time in Christians, people who... Who, who even are asking for financial help and you go into their home and their home is filled with toys, filled with the, the nicest stereos and the nicest furniture and all kinds of things that it doesn't even fit in their home anymore. That's the world. That's the world. I can't support the church because we're just struggling financially. And then they buy another high-priced item. They buy more real estate, whatever it may be. Well, do you not see that that's the world? There's a reason the Bible speaks so much about money. There's a reason that statistically finances are the greatest cause of divorce in our country. Right? Not adultery, not problems with children's finances, money. There's a reason where you have to fight yourself to justify writing a check to the church or a missionary thinking, where does this really go? Do we really need this? I don't get anything out of it. Maybe your mind, even in our particular situation, wanders and says, well, I've seen Pastor Roger. He has a, a nice car. He has a nice house. Does he really need this? And then it becomes, again, a worldly thinking because it becomes about me because your check goes directly in my pocket. No, it doesn't. It's about you and the Lord and worshiping the Lord. I mean, you think you're hurting financially? I know missionaries that have to change lifelong dreams and vocations because no one can support them anymore. I mean, we need to think. We, we need to understand where the world infiltrates us. And, and it's not just about money. You know, I don't want to be one of those pastors that just talks about money, but I talk about it because that's one of the primary ways that I've seen people struggle and think it's okay to live like the world. Well, my, I can't give right now because we're saving up for a house. Is that really? Do you not see that, that that's worldly thinking? And I get that there's a place for that. I get that you need to protect your family. You need to provide for your family. But we need to be so careful. Why do you go into work? Why are you asking for a promotion? Why are you doing everything that you do? We need to take a hard look and see where our wisdom is following the world's wisdom. And God is saying, you know better than to follow that foolishness. Well, let's move on. And this falls right in line with worldly thinking. The fourth critical area of life that's determined by your role model is reputation. Reputation. And this does, of course, uh, kind of bleed into what we looked at last week with status. Look at the end of verse 10. 
He says, we are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. In his continuation of his comparison between the apostles and the Corinthians, Paul makes two particular distinctions. The first is weak versus strong. Again, he's using sarcasm here. The weakness of the apostles that he speaks of here reflects the weakness of God displayed at the cross as his saving power. It's the weakness in God's people that assumes and relies upon God's strength. And we read this earlier in in verse 27 of chapter 1. Again, the apostles are considered as of no account by the world. Right? We are we are weak. We are unimpressive. We are of no reputation. That sound familiar? Philippians 2 says that Jesus emptied himself or in the KJV made himself of no reputation. The Corinthians on the other hand saw themselves as influential and powerful. They were strong, Paul says. And what's more, Paul continues with a second distinction. Distinguished versus without honor, or if you have the ESV, in disrepute. The Corinthians act as if they are distinguished, as if they are held in honor, the ESV and NIV say. They believe they are treated as eminent and important, worthy to be noticed, worthy to be given attention. Of course, in their case, a lot of it is self-proclaimed honor. It is given to themselves. The apostles, on the other hand, are without honor. They are treated with contempt. They are without honor in the world, and especially among those that mattered to the world, the rich and powerful. They are disgraced. They could have easily imposed honor on themselves and have been right to give their lives for the Creator. Is there anything more honorable than that? But they avoided that temptation. They didn't do it. They saw themselves as God saw them. Again, a sinner, a servant, a steward saved by grace in daily need of that same grace. And so the question for us is who do you want to be? What do you seek? Again, as I said with status, it is not wrong to be honored if that's what the Lord has for you. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is what your passion is, what your desire is. Not that we are to desire to be treated poorly, but we should be willing to be if that's what it means for Christ's sake, if that's what it means to live the way God wants us to live. And let's be honest, that does happen when you are vocal about your faith, not to the degree that the apostles faced, not to the degree that Christians all around the world face, but to some degree it does. The more vocal you are, the more people realize you are a fool, according to them at least. Or are you like the Corinthians who are self-important? People who aren't distinguished but think themselves to be honored because that's what they want so badly. In fact, they want it so badly they start believing it. And if others don't honor them, they honor themselves. And that's exactly why they created those factions, as a way to build themselves up. So when it comes to reputation, who's your role model? We have people in our church who have a good 
reputation in terms of status, in, in terms of, of tears within our society that God has given them and praise God as they seek to use that for God's glory. There are others that most of us have never met, those who the world considers celebrities because they have excelled in their fields of sports and entertainment and business who are Christians, and God, in His grace, has granted them those positions and praise God again for them that they use that to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And if the Lord gives that to you, if you right now, someone who doesn't have much reputation by the world standards, if you are someone who just desires reputation, desires reputation, just wants to be praised by the world and only sprinkles in God because it sounds good, because you're convicted by the Spirit. Oh, yeah, of course, you know, and for God. Praise be to God but you realize it's really for your own ego, I hope you understand that should you attain that status, you will not use it for God's glory. Your reasoning for getting it was not for God's glory. Your heart is not right right now. And you're really telling me when you pursue the world's wisdom and the world gives you what you want, that all of a sudden you're going to click and use it for God's glory? You will not. Get your heart right now. So if that does happen, you really don't care anymore for the reputation and you give it all to the Lord. So Six critical areas of life that are determined by whom you choose to follow. Last week we saw spirituality and status. This morning we saw wisdom and reputation. The reality is those who truly follow Christ are to share in His foolishness, in His weakness and humiliation before the world. And that ties right in to how you view or who you follow in terms of wisdom and reputation. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. Sounds so good, doesn't it? To be called distinguished, to be called strong, to be called prudent or wise, And it is possible if you love the world that much that you would completely miss the sarcasm of the Apostle Paul here. And that's what happens. You you go down that road. You're so self-absorbed. You're so focused on the world that you would even misinterpret Scripture to justify and feed that. You say you can't see that happening? Turn on your TV as soon as we're done here. And when those cameras and those mega churches pan to the crowd, look at how many tens of thousands are there listening to a demon misinterpret God's word in the name 
of a pastor so that they can justify their self-love and love of the world. It is a slippery slope, and the temptation is strong. And it comes down to whom you choose to follow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul, not only in his life and his testimony, but even in his rebuke of the Corinthians. Father, you know how tempting it is. And it's not just physical hunger or thirst. You, Lord Jesus, endured the temptation. You went before us. When your greatest enemy offered you the world, offered you everything to be satisfied and comfortable, he offered you as a means to that offering, ironically, to avoid painful suffering, emotional distress, and death. Father, I pray that you would help us as a church to be the type of person, the type of people that follow your wisdom and are willing to endure whatever it may be that comes because of it. Not focusing on the the fear of man or focusing on what the world may not give us, but focusing on the joy and the service and the privilege and the glory of our Creator. Father, thank you that you have blessed those of us who have good jobs and you have used us for your glory as an example of those who work hard and have integrity with our finances and our tongues and the office gossip. But help us, Lord, not to be tempted. Not to be tempted by the things of the world, but to be thankful and to be good stewards. Not to reject raises and promotions for some sort of weird legalistic righteousness, but to accept it, but in a way that honors you. And to use that reputation and money for your glory. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be people who recognize even our own greed, our own selfishness, our own egos, our own jealousies and envy and judgmental hearts as we look at the world and try to be like the world. Guard us against that, Lord. Father, there are so many. There are so many, with money and without money, even in our own church, that love money and don't even know it. May you reveal it to them. And may they change by your grace. There are so many in our church, Lord, that desire to be rich and famous, that pull others down through their gossip and their slander, that look at the nice cars and the big houses and want that and somehow twist your scriptures to justify that. Father, I pray that you would grant repentance to their hearts even those who are content where they are in terms of their relationships and in terms of their jobs, Lord. There are many who still like to tear down and judge even in the comforts of their own bubble to lift themselves up. 
I pray for them too that you would grant heavy and swift repentance. Whatever other area, Lord, that all of us are in our individual lives are looking to the world, tempted by the world, may we turn away from that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's